Welcome to the Nutritional Outlook Podcast. I'm Jennifer Grebo, Editor-in-Chief of Nutritional Outlook Magazine. And I'm Sebastian Kravitz, Editor. We are your podcast hosts. Nutritional Outlook is a multimedia publishing brand and leading informational resource for manufacturers of dietary supplements, healthy foods, and natural products. In this special episode of the Nutritional Outlook Podcast, we are interviewing the award winners of Nutritional Outlook's 2021 Best of the Industry Awards. This year marks the 10th anniversary of Nutritional Outlook's Best of the Industry Awards, in which we celebrate excellence, innovation, and leadership in the dietary supplements and natural products industries. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truestherumntwk.com. Hello, podcasters. We're so excited to share who we selected as this year's Best of the Industry Award winners. Today, we're interviewing each of our four winners and discussing firsthand how they made a difference in the natural products and supplement industries this year. We're pleased to introduce our 2021 industry leader, Now, our 2021 service provider, the Botanical Adulterants Prevention Program, our 2021 ingredient supplier, Serafina Therapeutics, and our 2021 retail brand and product, Good Catch. Let's start with our 2021 industry leader, Now. Today, we're interviewing Jim Emmy, CEO of Now Health Group. Thank you for joining us today, Jim. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. Jim, one of the reasons Nutritional Outlook selected Now as our industry leader this year is the work Now has been doing in testing dietary supplements sold on Amazon.com to find out which, if any, might be low quality, might not be meeting label claims, or possibly even worse. Can you talk about why now decided to start doing this? Yeah, it's, it's pretty basic. Uh, uh, we welcome all competition, uh, particularly online. Uh, a lot of our business is online, but, uh, but we run into the same thing sometimes in, in brick and mortar retail stores as well. Uh, we were seeing some products that the prices were just incredibly low, uh, almost too low. And we, we buy a lot of raw materials for a large enough company that we, uh, get pricing competitive to anyone else on, on these raw materials. And it, some red flags started to pop up in that the retail price listed online uh, was less than what the cost of the components of the product would take. Even in some cases, uh, uh, without packaging, it would, uh, uh, it would see it. So uh, right away, we, we had a discussion internally and we're like, well, there's something going wrong here, if nothing else. If somebody has a proprietary process, we should understand that because that's who we need to match up against. Well, uh, it wasn't magical when we uh, did our testing and we discovered that uh, many of the label claims were just false. And uh, that's led us to have seek to learn more and to explore our own curiosities with our own scientific capabilities. And that led to us finding a, a lot of bad things out there, which made a lot of sense once we figured it out. So that was the start of it. This initiative to purchase and test competitor supplements has required notable investment on NOW's part. 
Can you talk about the resources your company has expended on this and what the return on investment has been? Well, we didn't really go into it looking at it as an investment, Sebastian. It was just more seek to learn. Uh, let, let's get the facts. We're a science-based company, so we tend to want to start with that as the least common denominator. Uh, really, besides the purchasing of the products online, uh, we have uh, major laboratories in our operations. Anybody that's toured our facilities understands it. We've got capabilities that many contract laboratories don't have. Uh, so we can match up to just about anyone on that. So we really didn't make any additional uh, capital investments to do this. We were just using existing equipment, uh, existing methods, and existing scientists, team members who, uh, to do the testing. Uh, really, the, the investment to us was nominal. It was a cost of a test uh, and, and that. Plus, uh, to be fair, we sent the labs out to, uh, or the test to outside labs in order to make sure that we were being accurate. We just didn't want to do an internal test. We also tried to confirm our results with external testing. So the cost of overall really was just a few thousand dollars when we look at it in total. Uh, we did retest. Uh, we wanted to confirm. Now, some of the, some of the products we tested actually were accurate. They were in, they were in good shape. Uh, but the, the uh, bad actors, so to speak, that really were leaving out ingredients, uh, uh, there was one CoQ10 brand, a CoQ10 400 milligram, a really high potency CoQ10 uh, that would have been uh, very expensive if the ingredient were present in it, had almost no active CoQ10 in it. It was mainly a maltodextrin and two-piece gelatin capsule. So, uh, I, you know, when we look at it, uh, we don't look at it as a return. Inadvertently, uh, we really weren't looking to uh, uh, tout our own horn about this. It was just more about doing the right things for the right reasons. Uh, we've been very fortunate in that we've received, received a lot of accolades. It's humbling. Uh, but to us, it was like, you know, enough is enough. We've, uh, uh, we as an industry, or most of us are being honest, we're trying to follow the rules. We're, if we make a mistake, we make it right. Uh, but it was just reach a point where the competition just wasn't fair. Uh, but once we did the testing, we realized consumers were being duped here. They were being misled. Somebody uh, was buying these on Amazon. Consumers were buying these products. And some of them, were, they weren't even getting any, any of the ingredients that they were paying for. So to us, it was, it was more about, hey, we want to play fair, but we want to play on a level playing field. And if, if somebody's cheating, we need to call it out. We as an industry have struggled with that for a long time. And being a, a family-owned, privately held company, we probably had more liberty to take the risk of calling this out. But we had enough science and, and testing, including the third-party testing we did, to back up what we were saying. So we contacted the companies directly and said, hey, we tested your products. Here's what we're finding. Uh, many of them didn't give us any answers. So uh, did we get a rate of return on investment? I, I suppose we have, but that wasn't our intent. Uh, our intent was to find, seek to learn, find out what was going on with these brands. And we confirmed some of our worst suspicions. And uh, well, the rest is, is history this year, even though we continue to seek out more products to test whenever it comes up. Right. And Jim, you touched a little bit on the risk. You know, can you talk a little more about 
whether now was worried, you know, about the risk about sharing info it found about any low quality products from other brands. Um, yeah, I absolutely can share that, Jennifer. We, uh, of course, this needed to be vetted through our board of directors, and we we had a discussion through our strategy groups. And uh, uh, whenever there's a potential legal risk uh, that could happen, we uh, uh, the main risk really was that somebody would. Uh, file suit against us for making false claims about their products, uh, you know, just disparaging statements or what have you. Well, we, we didn't go public right away with this information because we wanted to share it with the companies. Uh, honestly, some companies were, were really good and they said, wow, you identified a problem. What test method did you use? What lab did you use? Uh, there were some companies in the groups that we tested who actually improved their quality because of what we were doing. And, good on them you know they they really tried to make a difference and uh, uh they just didn't have control of it and that and everybody wins in that 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 wins for us because of consumer trust and it wins for them as they go through and they were very honorable about it then there were others who didn't reply at all and those were the ones we were concerned about at our board of directors levels is okay well what's the worst that could happen well uh, you know, it could be a large conglomerate with, with heavy legal resources that come, could come after us and uh, uh, do financial damage to us for challenging the position. Well, none of the products that were, uh, were suspect uh, were coming from any large uh, uh, reputable corporations. Most of them were what we call pop-up brands on Amazon. They just kind of show up. Uh, they, they get in, they rise to the top on, on sales ratings on Amazon, and then they disappear once uh, they get caught. Uh, many of the brands that we tested did disappear. In some cases, it took a while, but Amazon did delist some of them. Uh, but the risk really was legal risk, but we felt it was worth it. Uh, we felt that if we were going to be a leader in quality, which we we aspire to be. Uh, some people view us as a leader in quality. I, I always think we can do better, but uh, that that was the main risk we had to consider in it. And to us, the risk was worth it. And uh, it, again, we tried to approach it in an honorable fashion. We would contact people directly and have a reasonable discussion. And a lot of good probably came from that that the, the general public will never know about. And that's okay. Uh, again, we want to do the right things for the right reasons. A publicly traded company, I don't know if they would have the appetite for the potential risk of uh, a lawsuit or, or uh, uh, other types of litigious threats. Um, private equity held companies, you know, the rate of return may not have allowed it. And they probably wouldn't have had the, the likely to have had the investment and the quality capabilities that we have. We, uh, we're very confident in our analytical skills. Uh, we've got a, a quality group of 160 scientists doing 16,000 tests a month just on our own products. Uh, so going back to Sebastian's uh, uh, thoughts, uh, really adding another 10 to 15 tests for a product wasn't a big deal to us because we're pretty good at it. Um, but no, we, we weighed the risk versus uh, the benefit. The benefit to us was doing the right thing. And you know what, it's worked out pretty well. And it feels really good when you can help out another company who may have had problems they didn't know about. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. I mean, that's the very 
type of leadership and making a difference, like the reasons that we, you know, wanted to cover what now has been doing and really shed light on that. Um, and Jim, I'm not sure if you know this, but the the year that we first started Nutritional Outlooks Best of the Industry Awards back in 2011, I went back and I looked and we had actually selected now as the retail brand winner for that year. Um, we were, had been recognizing, we recognize now for a new rapid adulteration screening method that the company had made public and shared with the rest of the supplements industry in order to help with quality control. Well, you know, 10 years later, we find ourselves again recognizing now for again playing a leadership role and trying to help clean up the supplements market. My question to you is, is it now's long-term goal to be a leader in helping to improve quality in the market? Absolutely, it is, Jennifer. And, uh, and again, it's humbling to be recognized again, even 10 years later. I recall when we came up with that rapid test, uh, not many people realize it, but I'm, I'm a chemist by training. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in food chemistry and uh, uh, food sciences, and I geek out on the uh, science side of things. But really, the, the, it is part of our strategy, and it was a vision of our founder, Elwood Richard. Uh, he was a chemist as well. and uh, He had, it was in graduate school when he ended up uh, uh, due to a couple of family illnesses, uh, had, to, had to drop out and got into the natural products business as a retailer. Uh, to help his family members and, and, and help them with some of the, the challenges they were experiencing. But the minute I, that I interviewed with him, I bought into his vision because he wanted us not, initially it wasn't so much to be the quality leader, but to make sure that we had great quality. And in order to do that, he wanted to have the internal scientific capability to pursue that. Uh, and to this day, we are following up on his vision, even uh, decades later uh, from when he talked about that. Uh, we, again, I'd put our, our chemists and our scientists up against anybody in the industry. And uh, we're very confident that we can back up what it is we say. And if we can't, then we're going to go find help from somebody who can. And that, that's, that's important to do. Uh, but I, I, my belief is here we are in 18, 19 months into COVID and, and such. Uh, it has given us such wonderful opportunity of exposure to a new group of consumers that are looking for supplementation to help them with their personal goals. And uh, if, if, we can, if we have their attention now, and we do, it, it just puts the onus on we manufacturers more than ever to be responsible about what it is that we're providing to them. And to us, that's part of what leadership in the industry needs to be, is that uh, people are curious, they, that they find out the ways we can better earn the trust of these consumers, but more importantly, keep that trust once we get them. Uh, let's face it, it it's, takes a lot of hard work and a lot of dedication to earn the trust of consumers. But it also, it, it's a responsibility at that point. They've given their trust to us as companies. And as companies and leaders of companies, we have to make sure we, we keep that trust going. And particularly, to me, it's common sense. It's uh, uh, my family members uh, take supplements. Not all of them take now. Some of them take some other brands too, which is great. That's fine. I'm not going to steer them away from it as well. Uh, but we want it to be safe. Uh, we want them to, to believe in it. And we want them to trust it. 
and and that's where that responsibility lies. And uh, uh, fortunately, I've, I've have had the opportunity to discuss this with other leaders in our industry, and then there's a, a a lot of alignment on this. I think we're we're entering into a new phase in our industry of setting better standards. Uh, earning trust of consumers and keeping those consumers interested in what we're doing. We haven't seen really many or any other supplement brands kind of playing the same visible role that you guys have been playing in identifying uh, low quality products on the market. Would you like to see other supplement brands doing more broader public scrutiny of the market like now has? Yeah, I, Sebastian, that's a great observation and, and we would. Uh, we can't do it alone. It, it's impossible for any one company to do this. It really needs a collaboration and, and cooperation amongst uh, industry uh, supplement brands, uh, natural product brands. Uh, vendors need to buy into this. Uh, the lab third-party laboratories that can help support what it is we're doing. Uh, we also need to have a partnership with the regulatory agencies. Uh, one of the things we, we did do was we shared through uh, trade groups uh, testing information with the FDA and the FTC. Uh, sometimes we got responses, other times we didn't. Uh, but it really, there's, there is influence and in numbers in that. So yes, we absolutely would like to have more uh, people involved. And there are some good initiatives out there in the trade groups right now. Uh, you know, I first comes to mind, uh, and full disclosure, I'm on the, the board for this, but uh, uh, efforts by NPA with the SSCI program, that is a multi-company effort to establish standards that retailers can abide to uh, uh, get a standard audit uh, that any company may use. And if you've got that one audit, uh, it can be used with any retailer as opposed to, well, we do about 60 audits a year. We go through them uh, with different retailers, uh, domestic and international, uh, that have to do it. And it, it, it's onerous. It takes a lot of expense, but also a lot of extra effort, too, uh, with an opportunity cost in that. Um, the other, another one, UNPA with its China initiative of uh, uh, testing and standards with Chinese vendors and selling it, it, uh, products into China. It merits a lot. CRN has had some uh, major initiatives going on with the, the supplement registry initiative and some other things. APA uh, with the uh, botanical standards that they continue to put into. And then their American Botanical Council with their sustainable herbs program. You know, there, there is a lot of collaboration going on. I guess we just don't talk about it quite a bit. As for an individual company stepping up and doing it, I've had other leaders express interest in doing it, and we make no secret of what we're doing. We'll share it. We've shared it with them and given them ideas of how they might. And I'm optimistic that others will start doing this at some point too. It's just it just has to be the right time for them as well. So you mentioned earlier about now sharing his findings with FDA as well as Amazon um, about these low quality products, um, but you didn't really receive much response from either Amazon or FDA and some other regulatory bodies. Um, in your opinion, can the market improve without retailers and regulators playing a part in this cleanup? Well, again, maybe I'm an optimist uh, to a fault, but yeah, I think we can. Uh, 
but it certainly is much more difficult to do it without the cooperation and collaboration. Um, I, you know, I, I think we have to be careful in, in, the, in prejudging the agency or Amazon on, on what they've done. It, it's, it's just unusual. They're not used to companies doing this. And I think initially they weren't really sure how to take it. Uh, I know for a fact the agency knows who we are. They know our capabilities. Uh, uh, we have a, a, a good working relationship with the FDA and the FTC in, in many ways. And a lot of that is because we do make an effort to follow the rules. And if we don't like the rules, we advocate to change them. But uh, we, we try to do it in a, in a focused fashion. But if, if it's a rule we don't like, we still have to follow it. That doesn't matter. Uh, Amazon wasn't uh, uh, responsive initially. Uh, our sales vice president and, and uh, family member, Dan Richard, even emailed Jeff at Amazon.com and sent it to him. And he got a reply uh, that was not a formal reply. Now, we don't know if it was Jeff Bezos or uh, one, of, one of his assistants that replied, but uh, they thanked us for, for getting back to them and letting them know, but there was no initial action taken. That Amazon has evolved on that. Um, you know, I can't say we're the only ones that made it happen, but I think uh, the public knowledge of their new dietary supplement standards that they put into place, uh, we did have a hand in that and, and helping them develop new standards, but also other, other uh, companies and trade groups did too. So I think that's great because I, I think there's strength and uh, ideas from every perspective and every angle. Uh, I believe Amazon will continue to help out and continue to take notice. They realized they had a problem and uh, nobody was trying to shame them or embarrass them. Uh, but let's face it, uh, consumer trust is precious. I continue on that theme and uh, it's in their best interest too, to get consumers to trust them. Hey, I'm a, I'm a prime member. I, <laughs> I buy Amazon products and I, I can say that there's been more than one time I got something I was disappointed in. But, uh, but I let them know, and they're always really good with the return process. And hasn't been a problem. But in the beginning, it was pretty silent. The FDA uh, was silent, but that's not unusual for the agency. They proceed with caution. Um, I, I believe we got their attention in a good way. Uh, the FTC was very interactive. Uh, they, they were actually uh, responsive, got back right away uh, through the Natural Products Association within a matter of, of, of less than 24 hours, they were responsive. So uh, yeah, I guess it all depends on the audience we're coming through to, but uh, it, it, it is possible, but extremely difficult to move these things forward without the help of all parties involved. So uh, we just have to be patient and persistent. Those are the two words in that. Great. And, um, Last question, Jim, you know, we hope that that optimism that you spoke of um, is well-founded, you know, and that, may, you know, we may be entering a new era in the industry in terms of, you know, cleaning things up. Um, so Jim, what is the outlook for improving quality in the supplements market? You know, we're, like we said, we know there are a lot of forces at play, supply chain issues, economic adulteration, and just the veil of e-commerce that makes it difficult for many customers and even retailers to differentiate good products from bad. So given all these challenges, you know, at the final word, what will it take to improve quality in the supplements market, in your opinion? Uh, 
Good question. Uh, our view is awareness and education. Uh, we have to make everyone aware there's a problem. Uh, again, many, many times, uh, those of us in the industry, including myself, stood up there and said, hey, uh, in front of groups, and we've got to take care of these bad actors. We've got to, we've got to fix them. And we've counted on the regulators or, or uh, retailers to do it. Well, we're a retailer ourselves with our fruitful yield store here in Chicago, the Chicago area. So we understand it's not so easy. And so it, we've really taken a different view of that. I, I've had my aha moment on it, that there is plenty of opportunity for improvement. I think we need to get into a continuously improved environment. I think we, we really all have to take seriously uh, what's going to happen as new standards and new expectations are, are taking place. Um, you know, I'm not going to call anybody out on this, but th there were companies that when Amazon brought out their new standards, uh, there were some companies that had touted the, how supreme their quality was that all of a sudden said, whoa, wait a minute, these rules are too onerous for us. Um, challenge with that is the rules that Amazon were putting out were all part of the shade GMPs. You should have been doing that anyway, including the testing and such. And, and I just think one of the biggest rules of improvement is everybody is, seems to be willing. Every, everybody who's out in the open is talking about it, but you need to back up what it is you're saying. And that's a huge opportunity and it takes time. Uh, like I said, we've been willing to help out companies that were honest, like, hey, thank you for showing this to us. Uh, we need your help, will you help us? Sure, and we didn't get a penny for that. Uh, but what we get is the fact that uh, uh, there is going to be another brand out there that's going to be reputable, and each brand represents each and every one of us in this industry. And, and I think if uh, uh, we continue to educate companies, continue to educate retailers, no matter what channel that they're in, and also continue to educate consumers, because once we all get on the same page, and regulators as well, um, all of a sudden consumers are gonna look at this and say, wow, I trust this. I can, I can count that that model, whatever it says on the label is what's gonna be in that product. And many consumers take that for granted and education and awareness is key at all steps of the supply chain. I think that's a, the big win we can get in the beginning um, with the goal that the, the state, a statement we make it now is the better we get, we'd better get better. And uh, that means that whenever we achieve a new level of standards, there's always the opportunity to get to that next level. Uh, for example, we came out with recently with the uh, new pesticides testing program for some of the complex botanicals uh, where there wasn't a method uh, uh, where you could identify the presence of those pesticides. Well, our chemists uh, uh, kind of flipped the problem and said, okay, well, we used to extract the uh, the pesticide, let's extract the botanical and see what's behind it. And uh, it works. And we share that method with everybody. And uh, I think more of that, more of that collaboration is, is possible and it's becoming more acceptable. So great opportunities for everybody. Well, we appreciate everything that now is doing for the industry. Um, congratulations again on the awesome job that your company has been doing on setting an example for the rest. And thank you so much for being with us today, Jim. We appreciate your time and it was great to just 
get all of your insights on this, some of these really important issues happening in the industry now. Well, I thank you both and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak today. Thank you. Our next 2021 Best of the Industry Award winner is the Botanical Adulterants Prevention Program, also known as BAP. We chose BAP as our winner in the service provider category because the organization has spent the last 10 years educating and warning the botanicals industry and many others about a critical issue in the botanical market, which is botanical adulteration. Joining us to discuss BAP's work today is Stefan Gaffner, Chief Science Officer at the American Botanical Council and Technical Director of the Botanical Adulterants Prevention Program. Thank you for joining us today, Stefan. Thank you so much for having me. And from all of us at the ABCAHB NCNPR Botanical Adulterants Prevention Program, a big thank you for this honor. We're honored to have you. Um, and Stefan, I'm not sure if you remember, but back in 2016, Nutritional Outlook actually also chose BAP as a Best of the Industry Award winner that year um, as industry leader. In 2016, we recognized BAP for its work educating about botanical adulteration. And five years later, we're awarding the group again for the work it continues to do in educating about botanical adulteration. Can you take us back and talk about why BAP was started and what its mission is? Honestly, I was personally not involved in the beginning of BAP, so I have to rely on Mark Blumenthal's accounts for this. The idea came out of frustration about the lack of authenticity in a portion of botanical dietary supplement products sold on the market. Mark Blumenthal, Iklas Khan, and Roy Upton agreed that the industry needed more education about botanical ingredient adulteration and also better information about which analytical tools are best to detect adulteration. The mission of BAP is to educate the industry about botanical ingredient adulteration and to reduce adulteration of such ingredients in dietary or in food supplements as they are called in Europe, conventional foods, cosmetics, and other natural health products. Ultimately, the goal is that the herbal products that consumers purchase are of high quality. So this year, BAP is celebrating its 10-year anniversary, um, which is an achievement in and of itself. Can you talk about how, you, how you've seen the program grow in the past 10 years? Uh, what have been its greatest achievements over this time, would you say? Sure. We did not have any celebrations to mark the 10th year of BAP's existence since BAP isn't really a reason to celebrate. I'd rather celebrate the days when BAP is no longer needed. Mm. There have been a number of changes over the years. Examples would be an increase in financial support from our BAP members, an increase in the number of publications, which currently average about 8 to 10 per year, and an increase in the regard in which BAP is held by members of the herbal medicine and botanical dietary supplement industry, government and academia. Another important aspect is the global reach of BAP. Our documents are read by scientists from countries around the world. 
for me personally, the biggest achievement is that BAP has had a tangible impact on the industry and has led to numerous changes in the way that some manufacturers make specifications or test their products, ultimately leading to better quality products for the consumer. Absolutely, and we're so glad to see the recognition that BAP is getting for the critical work that it does. So you touched on this a little bit, Stefan, but how has support for what BAP is doing grown in the past 10 years? Have you seen you know, stakeholder participation, partnerships, endorsements grow over that time? So we have seen a strong increase in support from our stakeholders in the first years of BAP, but our support has been relatively stable over the past three to four years. But many companies have gotten more actively involved, for example, by providing information about adulteration or by helping with illustrations for BAP documents or by commenting during the peer review process. So Stefan, can we talk about the past two years, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic, and whether we saw an increase in botanical adulteration as a result of the supply chain and other issues? Of course. Problems with the supply chain or what we call the values change since the beginning of the pandemic have been a real challenge. We have seen a number of fairly dramatic price increases due to shortages in some of the popular herbs, elderberry extracts, ashwagandha root extracts, and echinacea extracts are among those herbs with the highest increase in sales in the United States, making them also particularly attractive for fraudsters. Frequent adulteration has been noticed by industry members, especially for elderberry and ashwagandha extracts, but data on the extent of adulteration have not been published yet. So it's very difficult to say if adulteration has increased or not. That's a really good point. Um, but in general, Stefan, in your opinion, will botanical adulteration ever go away? Well, Stephen Foster's article, A Brief History of Adulteration of Herbs, Spices, and Botanical Drugs, it actually marked the first paper published by BAP in 2011. And in this article, he shows that adulteration of botanicals is nothing new, and it goes hand in hand with the existence of humankind. So with that, unfortunately, this means that also the problem isn't going any away anytime soon, if ever. So I don't expect that we see ever adulteration completely gone. It just goes to show that there will always be a role and a need for someone like BAP. Um, well, thanks so much, Stefan, for joining us today. Um, it's been a pleasure to speak with you. So happy for the opportunity to talk with you. And again, my profound gratitude for this award. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all your great work. Our next 2021 Best of the Industry Award winner is Serafina Therapeutics. We chose Serafina Therapeutics as our winner in the ingredient supplier category 
for the company's groundbreaking work in odd-chain fatty acids, specifically pentadecanoic acid, and in launching its FA15 ingredient in the form of a Fatty 15 supplement brand, bringing awareness and ultimately good health to consumers. We are joined today by Stephanie and Eric Van Watson, who are the CEO and COO of Serafina Therapeutics. Thank you both for uh, spending some time with us today. Great. Thanks, Sebastian. Thank happy, you. happy to be here. So let's get started and talk about pentadecanoic acid. We'll call it C15 for short. Um, now, many of our listeners may be familiar with uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids such as omega-3s, but less so with C15. So what is C15 and what is the significance of this uh, chain saturated fatty acid in our diets? Sure. Well, C15, otherwise called pentadecanoic acid, like you shared, Sebastian, is an, is an odd chain saturated fatty acid that's found in trace levels, primarily in butter and other whole fat dairy products, but you can also find it in some types of meat, fish, and plants. Um, now, it might be surprising for people listening to hear about a healthy saturated fat, uh, but dozens of studies you know, over the past five, six years have shown that odd chain saturated fatty acids, and they're named this way because they have an odd number of carbons in their chain, like 15, these types of saturated fats are repeatedly associated with good health, while even chain saturated fatty acids like C16, which are present at much higher levels in the same foods, continue to be associated with poor health. So a difference between different saturated fats based upon their carbon number. And interestingly, what we have found with C15 is that similar to omega-3s, there's mounting evidence that supports that C15 is an essential fatty acid that we need in order to maintain our baseline health. And that means that since our bodies don't make enough of it and it needs it, we have to get enough C15 routinely through our diets or through supplements. So that's the kind of the, the quick answer to the significance of odd chain fatty acids, but what does that really mean for, for us as individuals? Um, well, during 2021 alone, there were 20 independent peer-reviewed studies that were published, including teams from Harvard and Johns Hopkins and Cambridge universities that linked higher C15 circulating levels, like higher C15 levels in our blood to living longer and to having lower risks of having or developing type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and heart failure. And it's important to note that these are all associative studies. So it associates higher C15 with better health. But what we've been able to show through our experimental studies, along with others, is that C15 um, is when you take C15 and you put it in the lab, it's this pure and active beneficial fatty acid with glucose, regula glucose regulating, anti-inflammatory, anti-fibrotic, and even anti-cancer properties. So when you take all of that information together um, and you uh, culminate it, it has led to this hypothesis that as we've methodically reduced all types of saturated fats from our diets over the past 40 years by saying we need to decrease saturated fats, especially in butter and whole fat milk, that, you know, the question is, have we accidentally caused population-wide C15 nutritional deficiencies that then in turn are driving the rise in diabetes and heart disease and liver diseases globally, especially in younger, younger people? 
Oh, that is that is fascinating. And Stephanie, you had a central role in discovering C15 in a very interesting study population, um, Navy dolphins. So how did you get involved with working with Navy dolphins and why was this such a valuable research uh, population and what did you ultimately learn? Yeah, thanks for the question, Jennifer. <laughs> I love talking about, I'm a veterinarian at heart. I love talking about the dolphins. <laughs> So yeah, it was about 20 years ago, and I was, and still am, a veterinary epidemiologist, um, but back then I was working for the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as well as the World Health Organization, and um, around that time, I was invited to help start and lead a clinical research program to continually improve the health and welfare of the Navy's dolphins, which I had never heard of before. <laughs> so I thought that would be great to do for a couple of years. And it's in San Diego, dolphins, um, population health, this will be great. Um, ended up staying there for 18 years. Um, so, you know, Navy dolphins, uh, I hadn't heard of it. There were probably others that haven't as well. So, you know, over the past 60 years, the Navy's taken extraordinarily good care of the sustained population of about 100 bottlenose dolphins. And today they live in San Diego Bay. They work in the open ocean every day. Every day they choose to come back. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, it's because of the great care that the Navy provides that Navy dolphins today live at least 50% longer than dolphins in the wild. And this resulted in a growing population of geriatric Navy dolphins. <laughs> so a lot more and more old Navy dolphins. And it was with this population of older dolphins that we surprisingly discovered that similar to humans, some dolphins, but not all, developed aging associated conditions, which included high cholesterol, chronic inflammation, and even the full suite of changes in the brain consistent with Alzheimer's disease. So really huge and unexpected findings until you think about the fact that dolphins are, and humans are both large-brained, long-lived mammals. So here's the amazing part, right? So despite the fact that the Navy dolphins lived in the same environment, getting the same healthcare and eating the same diet, some, but not all, developed aging associated conditions. So we just took out a lot of the confounders, right? That we attribute why some people age well and others don't. And then on top of that, we had the Navy had the amazing foresight, not only to maintain electronic medical records in which they tracked 44 different blood-based clinical indices on every dolphin as often as once a month throughout their whole life. They also archived and froze serum that matched almost every one of those samples. So fast forward, you know, 60 years from the, from the program's beginning, and here we are. And so technologies come to the forefront. And so in cooperation with the Navy, our team was able to access the, those longitudinal sets of serum samples, apply multi-omics, especially metabolomics, to identify which of the thousands of small molecules that's present in long-lived mammals' blood, whether it's a dolphin or human, which of those small molecules predicted healthy agers. And then from there, we then discovered 100 promising molecules, which is incredible, including C15, which is where we started. And when we moved pure C15 
into the lab and we performed this myriad of experiments over three years. And that's what we published in Nature Scientific Reports in 2020. You know, we were able to confirm that C15 is an active and beneficial saturated fatty acid that met the criteria of being the first essential fatty acid to be discovered in 90 years. That's such a fun story. I like hearing it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, when did you realize that, you know, C15 presented a business opportunity? I know in the article you talked about how, you know, when you found this research and discovered all this, this wonderful data that you felt a sort of moral obligation to bring C15 back into our diets. But when did you two decide that you guys were going to be the ones to do this? How familiar were you both with the dietary supplement industry before undertaking this task? Yes, uh, all good questions. So we were initially evaluating C15 as a means to treat diseases. And those diseases included type two diabetes, fatty liver disease, among others. And we we're using a very strict pharmaceutical approach. Um, during this process, we identified C15 as a potential essential fatty acid. And then, you know, our things changed and we decided that it was increasingly important for us to educate the public about the benefits of this molecule and in doing so, make it available to the greatest number of people. And hence, we came out with a supplement, we developed a food ingredient, and we're also moving it forward with for a pharmaceutical as well. And by doing so, you know, having C15 available across all these channels, we have the greatest opportunity to improve global health. Our, our founders, us, Steph and I, and our initial team and initial funders, uh, we're all very well versed in the pharmaceutical world and the need to support, you know, to have strong supported science. Um, and then when we realized we were moving forward as a suppl supplement, we reached out to um, leaders in the world in different facets, like ingredient manufacturing and ingredient regulatory affairs and other aspects that would be needed to bring a supplement and food ingredient to the market. We applied the same principles that we're using in the pharma realm to create the highest quality supplement and food ingredient. Our FA15 ingredient is a pure, our last batch was actually 99.8% pure. It is vegan friendly and it's a sustainable powder. And unlike omega-3s, um, our FA15 ingredient has a long shelf life and does not have that famous fishy smell uh, or taste. So it is a, a ultra high quality and stable ingredient that can be added to a variety of food sources. Yeah, and, and Sebastian and Jennifer, you know, you asked as far as like, why us? Why, why should we bring, you know, it to the market? And you know, after you know, all this time to be able to have the science and being rigorous with the science and, and creating the best protocols and making sure that, um, you know, we really had the highest standards uh, to, to bring C15 forth. We said, gosh, we've got to, we've got to take it to the finish line to make sure that this, that the ingredient and the product that we provide lived up to that same rigor. Well, uh, speaking of the finish line, can you talk about the success that you've experienced with your direct-to-consumer product, uh, Fatty15? Has a strategy of releasing a proof-of-concept supplement helped you on the ingredient side? Yeah. Now, we launched um, our Fatty15 direct-to-consumer supplement in January of 2021, and we sold out in six weeks. And so we had 
you know, in addition to selling out quickly, and um, from then until now, we've actually maintained a, a pretty amazing um, customer retention rate. Um, about 85% of our customers return for refills on the Fatty 15 supplement. Um, on the ingredient side, we've been reached out to by a variety of interested parties and are having um, encouraging discussions uh, about our ingredient and the potential to be used in, in different products. In addition to the rigorous science and the high quality ingredient, another reason for the strong retention that we are seeing is that our customers are experiencing both near-term and long-term benefits. In fact, two-thirds of our current customers report experiencing near-term benefits within six weeks of routinely taking Fatty 15, and they're reporting improved mood, better sleep, and a feeling of satiety, I'm feeling less, less hungry, resulting in less snacking between meals. Um, they're also reporting long-term benefits uh, consistent with the science, and those include healthier body weight, uh, improved blood pressure, improved glucose control, and improved cholesterol levels through fasting lipid panels. So our, our discovery, the science, the near and long-term benefits, the testimonials we're getting from our customers um, and the success of the Fatty 15 supplement has really enabled us um, to, to raise $13 million um, really to advance our direct-to-consumer uh, supplement Fatty 15 and scale up um, our food ingredient FA15 production. So what are some of the lessons you guys learned this past year uh, since you've launched your ingredient and finished product? And how do these lessons inform your near and long-term goals? Oh, so many lessons. <laughs> so we could go on and on and on, but I, I think we can, we can narrow it down to, to two big ones, right? So the first is that science works. How about that? And, you know, while our discovery all the years leading to understanding the dolphins, the parallels to humans, um, helping them, and by helping them, um, doing the science then that, that are helping humans, developing the FA15 ingredient, and then now coming forward with our Fatty15 supplement. You know, all of that, while all of that is more than 20 years in the making, it is incredibly amazing. And it's so rewarding to see how many of our customers are feeling the benefits of Fatty 15 today. And you know, a lot of us were initially surprised. It's like, gosh, it's not just helping with long-term. Like Eric said, they're feeling better, but you know, they're inspiring testimonials from our customers. And it really got down to like, ah, science works. <laughs> so we have this amazing population we get to learn from combined with omics and it's resulting in molecules that you know, can be felt uh, felt within weeks and, and seen within months, um, which is amazing. Um, the second lesson is that, you know, this movement that we started um, when we decided to publish our paper, it's these eight studies um, that we did over three years, we put into one paper with Nature Scientific Reports, and we published that during 2020 with the thought of we're going to put our stake in the sand in the ground we're going to propose c15 lay out the argument of what how c15 is an essential fatty acid and then let the world go to work and so that's exactly what's happened so you know as as i shared earlier you know 20 papers in 2021 alone prior to this year there was an average of about two and a half papers scientific papers per year talking about C15 associations with health benefits. And then fast forward to 
this year, which we're not done yet, we're close, but, you know, 20 papers this year, um, all from, you know, these prestigious groups linking C15 to longer life and reduced risk of diabetes, liver disease, and heart disease and more. So those things that the happiness of our customers um, paired with this, um, you know, the, the world picking up on C15 and showing, doing more than we could possibly do to be able to show the benefits of C15 have, you know, resulted in a few things. One, you know, we're more motivated than ever to continue educating the world about the health benefits of C15. Um, again, thank you for this award um, in which we're really proud that part of it is because we're helping to educate the world about C15. Super proud that, that that is a reason for this award. The second is that, you know, we are, that these two lessons are helping us, are encouraging us um, even more so to, you know, stand behind our fellow leaders in both the health and nutrition communities regarding the need for us to revisit nutritional guidelines that are still recommending that we limit all saturated fat intake. So if you go to USDA's last round of dietary guidelines, which just came out this last year, um, the term saturated fat as a nutrient to avoid is mentioned 161 times in 108 document, that's 164 pages. So yes, there's a lot of ambiguity with regard to some of the studies, but when you parse out odd versus even saturated fats, it becomes very clear. So wanting to go and get um, those recommendations revised so that we can parse out the good versus um, the still unknown um, even chain saturated fats. And then lastly, most importantly, I think, because it's something we have the most control over, is um, these two lessons have really um, encouraged us to then let's um, help the world gain access to FA15 and advance our ingredient as an essential food fortifier, all to do what the entire mission of uh, why Eric and I created Serafina Therapeutics is to improve global health. So we're super excited about what's happened during 2021, 2022 is going to be busy, fun, and we're so glad that it's not, we're not alone anymore. <laughs> we, we have the world uh, working with, uh, with it, with us. Well, that's terrific. You know, it's, it's been such a pleasure to talk to both of you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and, uh, you know, congratulations and I wish you great success. Great. Thank, thank you, you, Sebastian. Thank you, Jennifer. So our final 2021 Best of the Industry Award winner is Good Catch. We chose Good Catch as our winner in the retail brand category because of how the company is helping to mainstream the plant-based seafood category through its retail and food service partnerships. Joining us today is Christine May, um, CEO of Gathered Foods, the parent company of Good Catch. Thank you so much for joining us today, Christine. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Um, we are just so honored to receive this, this recognition. So really, really thrilled to be able to talk about Gathered Foods today. It's an excellent opportunity to talk to you. And, you know, I had a great time talking to you for the article. And, uh, you know, I'm eager for our listeners to really hear what you have to say um, during our podcast. So let's jump right into it. Um, 
you know, we wanted to recognize Good Catch Foods because of the efforts being made to expose consumers to plant-based foods, particularly paving the way for the burgeoning plant-based seafood category. A big part of it, a big part of this has been the expansion into food service. Um, would you say that this was a natural progression for Good Cash and Gathered Foods um, as parent company? Oh, absolutely, Sebastian. You know, food service is actually our first preference to offer consumers their first experience. You know, people have heard about uh, plant-based foods. We have a lot more consumers that are plant curious, um, but the best way to curate a positive experience, that first tasting experience, is perhaps having someone else curate that that flavor for you, right? You don't have to guess. Um, and so food service is absolutely about curating the taste experience. And um, we have been so fortunate, so pleased to be able to partner with some very valuable um, uh, food service partners um, to be able to get good catch out into, into the market for consumers to try. Great. And continuing on that theme, Christine, about curating the taste experience for consumers, can you elaborate a little bit more on how Gathered Foods collaborates with food service partners to deliver a great plant-based seafood experience? Why is it so important to be hands-on in this way, you know, as opposed to just selling your products to a restaurant and letting them do their thing? That's a great question, Jennifer, you know, because when you curate a taste experience, that taste experience is not the same for every food service partner, right? You could have a, a quick serve partner, you could have a fine dining partner, and those conversations can be completely different. Or actually, they should be completely different, right? Because the experience is different. And one of the first things that we do is we actually look at the menu with the partner and decide, you know, what is the best way that we can uh, curate a menu offering that's commensurate within that realm, right, of, of the menu. And, um, you know, I'm really proud that Good Catch um, is definitely culinary driven, innovation inspired. And why is that? Because one of our co-founders is actually a chef. And, uh, you know, he and his team, culinary team, personally look at um, every menu when we when we go in and we talk to food service partners and we ask them what is it that you're looking for you know what what kind of experience are you wanting to offer and these are a range of possible menu items typically we'll give them five eight ten options to choose from and we create a tasting for them and then we collaborate with them to see you know how they want to be able to present the food and what does gathered food look for in a food service partner um, when it comes to curating a taste experience? I imagine this also means being somewhat deliberate um, about who you do business with. Um, would that be accurate? You know, I think that uh, the awareness level of plant-based foods is growing. So, you know, your obvious first kind of partner would be those who are already kind of in the space. Um, but and our very first uh, food service partner uh, was Veggie Grill. And um, Veggie Grill is definitely in the, you know, leading the pack, right, in terms of offering some of those um, vegan or plant-based offerings. But equally, you know, we uh, last summer, and Sebastian, we, we've talked about this before, is that we had the opportunity uh, to do a test with Long John Silver's. And we were the first plant-based uh, partner for them, period, right? And we had a very successful test market with them in five different locations um, in July of this year. And so we're pleased, you know, in 2022, we're talking about, you know, what those next steps are um, and, you know, and how we can continue to support, support that partnership. So it's a range. It's a range. Great. And 
We've talked about how curating the taste experience in restaurants can help inspire consumers with creating delicious culinary creations at home with good catch products. What's your favorite recipe that you've made or simply eaten using good, good catch products? <laughs> you know, honestly, there, it, it, it's really the truth. Um, I've learned a lot. You know, I actually have two favorites. Um, one is I really actually love to make, you know, a deli style tuna sandwich, you know, and um, I, I, I found out what the, the secret is actually. Um, and it's not just putting the, the mayonnaise in there, but it's also putting some Dijon mustard and some horseradish. And for that little bit of crunch, I put celery and green onions, you know, so you kind of do your own um, spin to it. But that to me was, it, it took my taste experience of just your normal tuna sandwich um, to the next level. And it was definitely uh, delivering comparable protein as well. The other one is, is absolutely my, the fish sticks. You got to dip those fish sticks in, in a nice tartar sauce. That sounds great. My family loves putting dill relish into um, tuna salad. So Ooh. perfect. Yeah. Like we, there's added add-ons. I have a couple of other questions, Christine. Sure. So Christine, what do you think some of the biggest challenges and opportunities are for the plant-based seafood category moving forward? There is definite increased recognition of what plant-based foods can offer. You know, prior, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, um, vegan options were more limited in their taste and also what they were able to deliver in their texture. And so it has been our absolute focus from gathered foods. Um, and as I was talking to you before, we're culinary based, but we're also innovation inspired, right? To deliver texture, taste, and comparable protein. I mean, for us, when you think about um, seafood, um, texture was definitely the most difficult thing to get right as a first step because texture is core to providing that authentic experience, not just a taste experience, but an authentic experience, right? When you bite into a burger, um, you expect a hearty feel, you know, a really hearty feel. But uh, when you bite into a fish, piece of fish, that's not the mouthfeel that you want, right? You want something that's lighter. You want something that is flakier. And um, that, was the, that was the first challenge, right? Um, is to get that delicate flakiness of seafood. So um, when you cut like a good catch fish filet right down the middle, you're able to see those layers of protein. Um, and that's the first, um, I guess, signal that, hey, you have something, right? Because you're, you're being authentic and what you're offering as a plant-based option. And then the next thing is absolutely taste, right? Because if you, if you look good, but you don't taste good, you're not going to come back. Now, if you taste good, you look good and you taste good, then you also don't want to have an experience where you're going to have to go search for that protein somewhere else, right? That protein count. Um, and so our combination of offering the texture, the taste and comparable with protein, that makes it more convincing and more palatable and more interesting for consumers to be willing to have, um, plant-based in their menu options. So Christine, you talked about comparable protein content to, you know, um, you know, traditional fish analogs. Um, you know, can you talk more about where you get the protein in good catch products? You know, what compose, what, what are these products composed of? So, you know, we are 100% uh, plant-based seafood, right? So when we created good catch, we created good catch from a unique 
six legume blend of peas, chickpeas, lentils, soy, fava beans, and navy beans. And because we're 100% plant derived, that means that there's actually no fish, no shellfish, no dairy, no eggs. And it was super important for us, Sebastian, to stay really simple. So no artificial flavors, no palm oil or canola oil, no hydrogenated or partially hydrogenated fats, no synthetic colors, just great taste, unmistakable texture, and comparable protein. Terrific. And last question, um, how competitive or crowded do you expect the plant food, uh, plant-based seafood category to get? Plant-based seafood has actually grown more than uh, 23% year on year. And so we expect it to actually grow more than 28% of a caker over the next 10 years. So there's going to be definite growth uh, over um, the, the coming years, because again, awareness, trial, willingness to purchase and experience, that's growing. Um, so we are really excited at the potential for plant-based seafood. Well, terrific. Christine, thanks so much for your time and congratulations on all your success. And I wish you the best in your future endeavors. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure, Sebastian and Jennifer, to meet you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this month's Nutritional Outlook podcast and learning more about our 2021 Best of the Industry Award winners. You'll find in-depth articles about each of our winners and their achievements in the December issue of Nutritional Outlook. Be sure to go to our website, www.nutritionaloutlook.com, to read the latest issue. Remember, you could always find us on the web at nutritionaloutlook.com, on LinkedIn and Facebook, and on Twitter at NutritionalO. The views expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of Nutritional Outlook, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editor-in-Chief Jennifer Grebo at jgrebo at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.